All right, well, we are getting personal with Jesus in the Gospels, getting to know him, hopefully. Uh, I hope that you are discovering some things about Jesus that you maybe, uh, even though you knew intellectually, maybe the first time you're starting to experience him uh, in these ways in your life, and hopefully as we talk about these uh, characteristics, they're starting to make sense to you. Uh, most of you know that, that I'm a, I love movies. Like, I'm a big-time moviegoer. Um, I go every week to the movies. It doesn't matter what kind of movie. I just like movies. I go watch, you know, sometimes twice a week, I'll go veg out in front of the movie screen and watch movies. I really just like to go to movies. I I can't explain why. I just like to be able to just turn my brain off or set it. I don't know. I don't want to psychoanalyze myself. I just like them. And, uh, you know, if some of you probably like movies too, uh, Talitha likes certain movies. But she doesn't like most of the movies that I like. Uh, but the best case scenario for me at a movie, uh, I've learned through the years, as some of you have, that uh, movie popcorn is just better than other popcorn. Do you agree with that? Say, oh, yeah. Okay, why? I don't know. I think maybe, I don't know. It's got to be better because we pay twice what we pay for the movie to get a bag of popcorn that we know we can make at the house, you know, for 50 cents. But somehow at the movie, it's worth $20 for that bag of popcorn, whether I can get a refill or not. Ashley hates popcorn. I knew if I told this, you were going to walk out on me. Popcorn is good, right? So I walk in the movie theater, even when I tell myself, you know, I'm on a special diet, so I'm not going to I used to tell myself. I'm, I'm on a special diet, so I'm not going to eat popcorn. I'm just going to go to the movie, and I'm going to bring some rice cakes, you know, or something, put them in my wallet, <laughs> you know, pull them out and eat them, because you can put them in your wallet, right, just don't, and if you accidentally eat your wallet, because it's too dark, you wouldn't even know it, because rice cakes taste terrible, but, uh, you know, so, but popcorn, when I walk in the door, and I start smelling popcorn, I, I get weak, I tell Talitha, no, I'm going over here, you know, we, uh, we, we used to not, I mean, there were times we didn't buy food for our children, because I was going to have to get popcorn at the movie, that's just the way it is, because that's part of the experience, right? So best case scenario, I get to walk in. Best case scenario is when somebody, like someone did recently, uh, bought me a, a Grand Theater card, which Maddie buys me, Maddie and Jake buy me just by any occasion, which requires a gift. They know that's a good one. So when I walk in, I use my card, I get to, you know, I get to to have my popcorn and then see the movie. By the way, best case scenario is an early afternoon movie on Friday. Day off, get the first feature, beat the crowds, get to see the movie when it first comes out. Uh, you know, so I'm there, I'm early. I got my, my seat, which best case scenario is right there in the middle, front row where I can put my feet up on the bar. Right? Everybody with me? Say, oh, yeah? Okay, I know y'all going to want to go to movies this afternoon. We might just all go see something. By the way, Batman Lego, excellent movie. You laugh. Go and you will laugh. Hilarious. So I put my feet up on the bar, sit there. Best case scenario to life that goes with me like she did yesterday because Batman Lego is right up her alley. Right? That's the kind of movies that Talitha likes. And it was great. So we sit there together. We eat popcorn. We watch Batman, which is my alter ego. I guess you guys knew that. 
I probably shouldn't have told you that. I'm not available for services. Uh, so we have a great time together. Talitha's there by my side, eating a small portion of my popcorn, which is great. She doesn't eat a lot of popcorn. That's the kind of person you want next to you, right, in the movies? All right, and then we walk out, and, you know, maybe the best case scenario is we walk out and walk right back into another theater, right? Get a refill on our way through and do that and get points for that at the grand, reward, real rewards. So that means I, 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 later I'm going to get another free movie. All right. Huh? Or more popcorn. They are not paying me for this. This is, this is my life. All right, so, but there is a point to it. If I went every day, I could get a free movie. Who does? Well, what day? <laughs> Me and Andrew are going to be buds. All right, but y'all get the picture, right? <laughs> I'm going to lose the point. I think I already did. Let's pray. We're going home. Let's go to the movies, ready? All right, but here's the point. <laughs> I think this is not going to be nearly as good as the illustration. But the point is this. Uh, you know, we are, our goal, our go- I mean, what do you go to the movies? What are you supposed to go to the movies for? The movie, right? But, I mean, the truth of the matter is there is so much distraction. Uh, there's so much that, that can be the reason why we go. There were times when Talitha and I went to the movie when we were dating, and we called that a date, Right? And it didn't matter about the movie. I wasn't watching the movie, right? I was trying to watch the girl next to me. Uh, so it was all about her. It wasn't about the movie, right? Uh, and some of us are like that. You know, for, for us, it's really about the people we're going to be with, which is great at the gathering place. You know, I, I feel sorry for you if you have to try to make your way beyond the people and find God. I really do. I, I mean, I'm, I'm saying that kind of in jest, but... It, I've never, I've never been with such a great group of people and never enjoyed being with people so much. Just people. And it's very easy for us to get distracted by the people that are here because you are great people. Uh, of the people I, I've ever known in my life, you are the best people. This is just good. You're just good. You're fun to be around. You're not judgmental. You're, you're easygoing. You're fun-loving. You love God. You know, you, we can talk about God, and we can talk about passing gas on the same sentence, and it's okay. The guys, anyway. Girls, I know y'all ever talk about that because you don't do it ever. But we can talk about all this stuff, whatever we want to, because we're, we're close. We have fun. We play together. We talk together. We spend time together, and we do church together. And so when we come here on Sunday or when we go to our life groups, it's so easy for us to get focused on people. Are the side issues, you know, the side stuff that's also very attractive. Um, you know, we have a great worship team. We were able to sing and enjoy worship with no limitations. We can worship God here. Or, I mean, we can just sing good songs, and we can enjoy good music. And we've got talented musicians, and that can be the popcorn. You know, we show up, and that's good. And we got places for the kids, and it's good. And our kids are taken care of, and we can, you know, enjoy that aspect of it are the donuts from Harlow's. I mean, that's definitely better than popcorn at the movies. But we can enjoy Harlow's donuts and coffee from Mountain Mama Roasters. I mean, all that stuff 
is is so good that it it might be that some of you have not ever made it past that yet. And and I, I got to say, in a lot of ways, I haven't yet. And I'm trying to get what the point is. I'm trying to get to the movie, and really come here because of the movie. But here's what's also awesome about that. And, and by the movie, I mean God Himself. He's coming here to see God. Let me make that point. <laughs> We're coming here to see God. We're coming here to, to honor God and to, to, to really worship God. But I can tell you this, too. It's not nearly as good for me if I have to go to the movies and I'm, and I'm going to the movies, even though now I really like movies of all kinds now that I've gotten over myself and I just have learned to enjoy j- different genres and don't worry about what people think about me you know, watching a chick flick or whatever. If, if I like that and I want to see it, I just go see it. And even if I go, but if I go to the movie and I sit in there and I watch the movie and the movie's good, it's still not as good if, as if I have Talitha next to me and my popcorn and my Coke. And it's all, it, it's just an enhanced experience. And I got to say, I'm looking for the day for us when not only is it that we're here for God, that we're here to really rejoice from our hearts. To really, This is what we want. We want God more than we want all the other stuff, but that we can all be there together. That, that when I'm worshiping on Sunday morning, I know I have a, a group of people who are all worshiping God because we all feel the same way about him. You know, we all have this deep, passionate, heartfelt love for God that's real and personal, and it just makes him so much more magnified, you know, when we do that together. There's, a, there's an element of worship together and of us coming together in corporate experiences of, of encountering God together that just is enhanced when you guys are here. So thank you, and let's, let's keep moving that direction. As we go through the rest of this series and we look at Jesus, there's so much that I'm discovering about, about Jesus in the passages of Scripture that is, that's just deepening my love for him. And I hope that's been true for you too, that you're not just here. You know, it's not enough for you just to be, able to be sitting with the people you're sitting with or to eat the donuts and the coffee, but that right now you really will engage and ask the Holy Spirit, to open your heart up to, to actually know him in a deeper way and ask God uh, this week to help you to encounter him in the ways that we talk about today if you haven't already encountered him this week in, this, in those ways. All right, so today we're going to move on to talking about how Jesus is personal. He's personal. Uh, we're going to read the story of the, the uh, marriage feast where Jesus turns water into wine. Uh, man, so much can be said about that passage and so much that I have said in, in, in just exegeting that passage and, and uh, preaching it and teaching it, but never like, I did, like I'm going to do today. Never like I'm going to do today because there's probably not a, a passage yet that I've encountered where Jesus meets so many different people and gives them all something different because Jesus is personal. He meets them where they are, and he meets their needs, and he challenges them where they are. He doesn't just give a generic message and say, I hope you all get it. He, he encounters each one in this beautiful social setting where you're supposed to encounter people, and he's a great friend, and he's encountering people and not just uh, talking to them and not just giving them a message, and he's not there to preach. He's just there being himself. And he's very personal, and he's, for, he's personal for each one. And so nobody has to say, well, you did this for him, but you're not doing it for me. Everybody's getting their needs met because that's who Jesus is. 
He's meeting them where they are. So I hope you'll enjoy this today and find yourself in one of the characters maybe that that we talk about today in this story. John chapter 2. Let's read verses 1 through 11. That'll be our focal passage today. On the third day, this is the third day after uh, our last encounter with Jesus, uh, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, we have, they, have, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to, his, to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jar, jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. All right, so let's just talk about this a minute. First of all, uh, this happens, this wedding feast, which typically would last a period of a week to 10 days, okay, but not just, you know, we think we got it rough. We have to go through all the processes of wedding, but this is a this is a week long process, all right? A feast that's going on for all this time. Can you imagine the father in law and how he has to hand or the uh, yeah wives, how the groom's parents would feel about having to prepare the feast that they prepare for your wedding for a whole week worth of feasting for this group of people? Because we know how to eat, right? We do. Uh, so anyway, the feast is going on, and, and it's at, but it's at Cana of Galilee. Right, Jesus is beginning his ministry. Three days ago, his ministry began, uh, is starting, and now he has, this is where he's going to perform his first miracle. And he goes to Cana of Galilee. Uh, just a, a small town. But the, the thing that kind of stood out to me was this. How many times is it that that politicians, for instance, are going to go and make their, their first appearance in a place that matters, right? In a place that matters politically, a place that everybody's noticing. It would seem reasonable that Jesus, rather than doing this first miracle at Canaan of Galilee, everybody's waiting to see if he's the Messiah because it's been announced by John now, and he's given some evidence of that, but there's no miracle yet. And everybody wants to see a miracle. The Jews are, are expecting miracles because that's what the Old Testament prophesied. And so they're waiting on him to do a miracle, and he doesn't go to Jerusalem. He, goes, he does it at Cana of Galilee. It's a little nothing town. He is fulfilling Scripture, by the way, because the Scripture did talk about in Genesis chapter 49 that, uh, that the tribe of Asher, in the tribe of Asher, there would be uh, delicacies and food and dainties, and, uh, and so the best of wine is, is actually happening in the town. That was prophesied that it would happen in. But regardless of that, Jesus began to work miracles in an obscure corner of the country. 
I love that about Christ. I love that he goes to the obscure places. I love, as we've seen already, that he goes to the rejected, that he goes to, to those people who have been rejected by society, those sinners that are way beyond even the help of any religious folks, those that have been rejected by religion and, and religious in all the religious circles and the leaders of religion. I love that. And here again, he comes to this place that's remote from Jerusalem for his first public miracle, public to a certain degree. I don't know if you remember in John chapter 5, but when Jesus healed the man at the pool of Bethesda, when that miracle happened, look at the difference of response here. And this is what Jesus knew would be coming if he went to Jerusalem, the city where, where miracles would be expected from the Messiah. Here's their response. Verse 39 of chapter 5 in John's gospel, later on he says this. Talking to the Pharisees, he says, You, you uh, search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you have not received me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from only from God? So here's Jesus coming to this remote village, okay, which is interesting. And it's going to have all these personal experiences with people at a wedding feast, a social event. And, and he's, he's, he's making it clear later on in, cha- in the same gospel in chapter 5 that he is not here to impress people. And so enjoy that about the Lord. You feel like you're in a remote place. <laughs> you feel like you always want to go somewhere else and be somewhere big or whatever. You know, and maybe it's the remote place of this little church, you know, this the gathering place west. We're just talking outside about the fact that, you know, I've thought two or three different times, four, five, ten, maybe, whatever, different times about putting a new sign outside. You know, every time I think about it, I think, for what? Why do we need a nice sign outside? I mean, it's not like you guys came here because of the sign, right? Who's coming because of the sign? I mean, we're just a little bitty old church over here. Uh, doing, trying to love God and figuring out what God wants us to do and be, and and God's showing up here. He's showing up here in this little remote little church, out in the middle of nowhere, right on the outskirts of town. Uh, but take joy in that, man. God loves that. He, G- Jesus showed up at Cana of Galilee to show his first miracle, and he's showing up here at the gathering place and doing miracle after miracle uh, in our lives and. And breaking us down, and we're seeing that personally. So the place, I think, was significant. Another thing I noticed about this story is that, um, is the love that people had for Christ. You know, the the maker of the feast uh, invited Jesus to come. He invited him to come and and, uh, spend this time with him, noticing that... uh, just just that one fact is enough to say, hey, Jesus was sociable, right? He enjoyed being with people. But it stands out a little more when you start thinking about the fact that he invited him and now his five disciples as of three days. Five of his 12 have been selected, and five of his disciples are going with him to this party because here's what they know. 
We want Jesus to, I mean, this is what the picture that it gives. We want Jesus to come. And now he's got five disciples, so they're going with him everywhere he goes. So that means we need to invite those five disciples as well. But we're going to do it. Even though it was apparent that they didn't have a whole lot of money, uh, the, the wine ran out, ran out before the feast uh, was ended. Uh, this, this uh, you know, meagerly couple that's our family that's trying to put on this this feast is inviting Jesus to come, and they love him so much that they're willing to, to take on five of his friends. All right, so just the, just that shows, again, just the, the, the person of Christ. If you look beyond the doctrines and look beyond the fact that there's wine served at the feast and that Jesus created some, was it fermented, was it not? And you get beyond all of that stuff and just look at Jesus as a person. The, the, the person who's putting on this wedding feast loved Jesus enough that he invites him to come even though five strangers are coming with him. And I just, I just think that it shows that Jesus was a true friend to people, that people loved him, that people wanted him around, and that if we could, if we could get that picture of him, that the real picture of who Jesus is, that we would feel the same way. Now, it's so counter-religious for us because most of us grew up seeing Jesus as being against us and being, or being, I mean, he's for us as long as we act the way he wants us to act or you know, that Jesus is not sociable. You don't get close to him. You just kind of, you know, you serve him and you you bow down and you make sure that, you know, he's not lovable and the guy you want to hang out with. But, man, according to this, this story, he is. And I love that about Christ, that he, he was loved by people and that people wanted him around. I love the fact also that Jesus came. He was called and invited, and he showed up. You know, Jesus, now beginning his ministry, it started. God has already initiated him. He's changing his role as being just the guy that's kind of been in, in the background for these 30 years, and now his, his ministry has been instituted by John saying, Behold the Lamb of God, and the Father in the clouds opening up, and the Father saying, This is my Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Uh, you know, and now his ministry has started. Now he's about his business. And yet Jesus receives this invitation to go to a wedding and takes it. Somebody invites him to come, says, hey, man, we'd really love it if you could show up. And he comes. He doesn't leave his ministry behind. He brings those guys with him, but off he goes to the wedding. You know, Jesus was that kind of person. He was personable. He was he was loving and caring. And, and to be respectful to uh, the person who invited him, he shows up. He wasn't like John the Baptist, who in many ways was uh, the opposite. You know, John was, he stayed out in the wilderness and uh, was by himself, alone. Uh, you know, and that was his ministry, but he was preparing the way for Jesus. But Jesus is the opposite of that. He is at the party. He takes the time to go and be with these people. And not only to be there, but to be an, an, uh, an important part of the success of the party. I also notice in this that, the, that uh, again, Jesus went with his disciples. So what does that say? I mean, to, it says something about his, Jesus being liked by, loved by people, but it also says something about how Jesus loves his disciples. He didn't just say, look, disciples, I know you guys don't know this guy, uh, so I'm going to go to the wedding, and you guys, you know, we'll hook up later on. 
No, he doesn't leave the disciples behind. He takes his disciples with him. Again, he's so personal in this story. He's being very personable to the person who's throwing the feast, uh, but he's also being personable to those that he's called to be with him. And what that spoke to me this week was this, is that, you know, I think some of us feel like that, that God leaves us behind on certain things. You know, that he's going to choose somebody really, really good to do whatever, and however good is defined by you. That, that those people that have been Christians for a long time, for instance, well, they're going to be the ones that are, are going to be serving in certain capacities, are going to get the special attention. And I'm a nobody over here, so I'm going to, you know, he'll probably just kind of overlook me. Man, that is not his way. Jesus is all about taking you through every experience that you're ready to go with him through. You know what I've learned about Christ through watching people like Jake, my son-in-law, and others who are new believers, just watching what happens in their life? Here's what I've learned. I've learned that a lot of us who have been believers for a long time or in the church for a long time, that we tend to think that God is going to use us and not use them or that God is going to going to not call them to do certain things because they haven't been Christians long enough when in fact he is calling them ahead of some of the people that have been in churches forever it blows my mind I've told you all this before how many of you have not been believers for a long time but if I were to try to select anybody of all the people I know to serve in certain positions it's you because you know God and you love God and you're passionate about and have a heart for God God is not leaving you behind I love the story of Paul. When, when, when Paul was converted on the road to Damascus, he's blinded and he gets up and he can't see and God tells him to go to Ananias' house and he receives his sight and immediately, the Bible says, he began to preach that Jesus was the Christ in the synagogue. Immediately, Paul, who just became a believer, who just a few minutes ago was, was killing people that believed in Christ, is now immediately going to preach that, God, that Jesus is the Christ in the synagogues. Look, if you just receive this. Okay, those of you who are waiting to be something special for God, are waiting to, to do something, or Satan has convinced you that you need to chill out and just wait a while, and then God will use you whenever you get mature. Forget about it. Forget about it. Jesus is taking you with him, and he'll take you with him into anything you're willing to go with him into. If you're open to it, God may call you to speak. He may call you to preach tomorrow. I mean to literally preach, like, hey, stand up and preach, or to speak a word, or you don't have to be prepared in any kind of way. He is the one that prepares you. You walk with him through life. Every, every situation that we go to, God wants us to go with him into that. When he called you to be a disciple, a follower of his, then he brings you with him. So those that followed Christ are feasting with him. They're experiencing him in that setting. They're coming to know him in that setting. And ultimately, this, this whole experience, the miracle was for them. So the disciples were invited. So Jesus gets to them personally. So see how he's, meet, how he's meeting each one and taking care of their needs. And so first thing that happens in this story, uh, once... Uh, he gets to Cana of Galilee, and Jesus shows up on the scene. The wine runs out, and his mother comes. Now, he's about to have a personal encounter with his mother. His, he's he's going to be very personal to her. He's going to address her in a, in a different way than he ever has before. He's, he's kind of stern, respectful, but stern. When she says they've run out of wine, 
Now, here's what you got to know about Mary. That all of Jesus' life, Mary's probably wondering, okay, when's the miracles going to start? Because I know he is the Messiah. Mary knew. Right? She had all these things and held them in her heart. And she's waiting for him to start manifesting himself as the Son of God. For whatever reason, it might have been selfish, might have been pure. But she had those motives. And so she comes to Jesus at the wedding feast. They ran out of wine. You know, is this the time? Jesus' mom and his brothers, and his brothers, uh, his, his brothers particularly, were always trying to put him up as kind of a sideshow. Uh, but she's ready for him to, to show that he's the Messiah. You can't blame her for that. But, but I, I love the fact that Jesus deals with her in a very personal way. He calls her woman, first of all, which is not the connotation that if I said to lie to the woman. If I said that, everybody would go, ooh, back off. It's not that. Right? It, it wasn't a term of endearment necessarily. He wasn't trying to be sweet. He was saying, okay, listen, he's being stern. He, you know, things are changing now, Mom. I'm, I'm, I'm now, you know... I, you used to have authority over me. Now I'm the son of God, and I'm in that role. And now I am going to have authority over you. Now I go to the father. I used to be under the authority of my, my earthly father. Now who probably at this point was dead because he's not even mentioned. But now I only do what my heavenly father tells me to do. And as we know in John chapter 5 later on, Jesus says, I do nothing on my own. I only do what I see my father doing. Whatever the father does, the son does too because he loves me. He shows me what he's doing. So I'm waiting on God to tell me what to do. So my time has not come. She wanted him to do a public miracle here uh, to, to show that he was the Messiah. And he says, my time has not yet come. What, what does it have to do with me that they've run out of wine? Uh, she's saying a public miracle. He, he's saying, my time has not yet come. I've got another source that I'm listening to, Mom. You know, the, the Heavenly Father's going to tell me what to do. And, and listen, we need to realize this about God. You know, we're talking a lot about the touchy-feely kind of stuff that Jesus is because, because it's showing up in Scripture, and we never look at that stuff. And he is awesome and loving and caring. But let's, let's remember this about Jesus, that Jesus is, is only going to give us He's going to be the one in authority over us. All right, so ultimately, God is not a God that, that comes in. The Holy Spirit doesn't come in and say, just live like you want. There is no rules. There, you know, no, there's rules. And the rules are whatever the Father tells us to do, we do. We're sensitive to the, Father, to the Father's leading. And because God loves us, he gives us things to do that reveal who he is to us. And so Jesus is doing that. He's listening to the Father. And he's going to reprimand us at times. There are times when he's going to come into us, and, and we're going to need to be that. We're going to be those people who are saying, oh, God, I want you to do this for me. God, I want you to do this for me. I want you to show yourself in this way. Do this miracle. Heal this person. Uh, you know, provide this, fi this financial uh, need for us. Do this. Do this. Do this. Give us another job. Get me out of this place that I don't like. All these things we're asking God to, to do, and, and God is looking down at us. The Holy Spirit's looking down at us and saying, okay, here's the deal. I, I want you to have what you desire, but I'm going to change what you desire. This is not good for you, trust me. This is not good for you, trust me. And we just got to know that he has our best interests in mind. At times, we're going to have to take that reprimand, uh, just like Mary has to in this case. So she says to the, to the servants, 
do whatever he says. And she leaves it alone. She doesn't try to correct him or straighten him out or get him to do something that he's not ready to do at the moment. And so I imagine Jesus at the end of this, it doesn't say it in the scripture, but he begins to ask the father, what do I do here? Which he does in every situation. He never does anything on his own. But then he, after this, uh, after he has this personal encounter with Mary and gives this, this rebuke, then we come to the point where we recognize the, the person who gave the feast. Now, in those days, again, as I said, the festival, the feast was sometimes uh, over a week long. And it would be a tremendous social and cultural faux pas for this uh, host to run out of food. That was ex- it was expected. I mean, weddings were big deals to them because it ultimately because it represented Christ and in, in his bride. But it was a big deal to the Jewish people. And, they, they, you know, there's weeks that they would spend in preparation. There's so much stuff that went on. The Jewish wedding feast is a beautiful picture. I, I, I could go there and we could have a great sermon on that. But here's what, what, he, what we want to focus on today is the guy that's throwing the feast. All, all of a sudden, the, the wine runs out. And, and somebody needs to re- replenish. And it's probably one of Mary's, it's probably uh, Mary's family uh, because Mary was there already. She wasn't, it doesn't, the scripture doesn't say she was invited or called to come. So she was probably already there. It's probably family that was doing this. So Mary feels a sense of responsibility. Uh, but the wine's run out. Part of the reason why Mary probably came to Jesus also is because, you know, sorry, Jesus brought five of his friends and they drank a lot. You know, so the wine's running out, and she feels a little sense of responsibility for it as well. Uh, but anyway, so the guy runs out of wine. Man, how embarrassing to run out of wine. And so what does Jesus do? He, he takes care of the situation. He remedies the situation. He provides more wine. Uh, and not only wine, but the best wine. And so, so now the best wine comes out, and which is not their tradition, and it's almost as if they, uh, you know, th- and they give this this situation or the scenario. He says it in the scripture. It's like he saved the best for last, and that's what the word is that's going around. He saved the best wine for last. Who does that? Wow! This is not only is it not embarrassing anymore, but this new this uh, the guy that's throwing the feast is now looking like the best feast thrower there ever was and that's what jesus does he is so good at that he's so good at looking at us and finding out where our needs are and when we when we trust in him and just lay it in his hands then he is he is not trying to embarrass you he is not trying to make you look like a fool he's not trying to make you look stupid and yet how many times do we have we been told that good Christians look stupid and are supposed to look stupid. And I can tell you, for, the truth is that I was not even worried about what people thought about me at all. Now, I'm not saying you should worry about it in the sense that you want status or position. But there is a sense at which, and I hope you guys take this seriously, there's a sense at which we as Christians become all things to all people. You know, Paul says, I become as a Jew to a Jew. I become as a Gentile to a Gentile. 
And not that I, I'm under any of their rules, but I, I do all of this in order that I might win some. I just want people to hear about the movie. <laughs> I just want people to see Christ. I want them to see who he is. I, I, whatever I got to do, if they think I'm stupid, they're not going to look at me and say, oh, what do you have to say? They're not going to even care what I have to say. And so being foolish is not the goal. Now, are there times when people will think that our beliefs are folly? Yes. Okay, and, and so embrace that. But don't embrace being foolish or doing stupid things to make yourself look like you're a strong Christian in order to have, and have people look at you like you're foolish and think you've done something. The goal is we're trying to show who Jesus is. And the Holy Spirit will lead us to those kinds of things. He will lead us to do things that we would never think to do that's just, it's just gracious. It's ways of serving people that, that will bless them. And, and if we'll just keep our eyes open, it'll be so, so incredible the way God opens those doors to show us things that we can do. The Holy Spirit still does that. He still does that for us, but he still does that in life. And the, and the Holy Spirit wants to use us to bless others. To, to listen to them, to eat with them, to serve them, to share the gospel. All right, God is doing that. He's working with us and in us because that's who the Holy Spirit is. He's a gracious, a gracious friend who helps us in our time of need and uses us to help others in their time of need. All right, so see Christ as that. And that's exactly what this, this, the host of the feast needed. Right? Again, it's different than what he gave to, uh, to Mary. Uh, it's different than what he gives to his disciples. He gives something to this host that he needs. Now, if I were Jesus and I had created this wine, I would have made the announcement, right? Okay, they ran out of wine, stupid host, but don't worry. I got this. I'm going to take care of you. Um, Servants, actually, why don't we go to the, the, the uh, master of the house? Why don't you and some of the leaders over there, y'all take those, do what I tell you to do. Take the cisterns and go fill them up with water. And then, now I will make great wine for everyone. And announce it, open it up, see what I did? Here's what Jesus does. Not only does he provide for the host, but he lets the host take all the credit. Now, how many times have you seen that happen? Where Jesus does something, and we're the ones that benefit from it. He does something to bless us, or he gives us something to bless someone else, and then they give the credit to us. Now, the great thing is we should give that right back to him, right? But, man, he is trying to make you look good. He is, he is for you. He's not against you. Now, there's a lot of things we could say about the wine at this feast. It was fermented. So you, you would have a very weak argument to say that this wine was not fermented. The fact that they drank freely, that statement is only used two or three times in Scripture, and every time it talks about being intoxicated. They had already drank freely, and Jesus made more wine. And he calls it wine. And wine is wine in the Bible, all right? We had that discussion before. There's not another word for wine. There's, a, there's grape juice. There's another word for grape juice, and it's not wine, okay? So it's not grape juice. This is wine. 
But here's the one point I do want to make. Jesus doesn't leave the, leave the party because they have wine. Right? He doesn't say, oh, there's wine here. I'm not going to this. Make some excuse and bow out. When the wine runs out, he makes more. Okay? So, I mean, we have a hard, we're hard-pressed to think that Jesus is not taking care of these people. Right? He is taking care. He's a great host. I don't know how much Jesus drank, but I do know this. He was called a wine bibber probably because he made this wine. You know, the story gets out. Jesus was considered to be a drunk by the religious people because they're trying to find anything they could to cause him not to, 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 to cause him to lose face. So the wine gets made. He takes great care in taking care of the personal needs of the guy that was hosting the party. And that guy looks really good at the end of the party. That's who Jesus is. All right? A little different picture maybe than you had of him before. All right, close with this one. One other group, and it's his disciples. Ultimately, this is the first miracle in the Bible. Jesus makes it clear to his mother that he's not yet supposed to become public in that way. He's not revealing himself as a miracle worker today. It's not in the Father's plan. And yet he sends these servants. And the only ones that know that Jesus made this water into wine were the servants, Jesus' mother, and the disciples. They're the only ones that know. Because whenever the wine shows up, they think the, the host of the party is the one that gave the wine. And they're giving him all the credit. And Jesus is quiet in the background. Because this miracle, the miracle aspect of this, was for his disciples. And his mother. The servants happened to be the ones that could be quiet and be used. But this was really for his disciples. The scripture says in that last, uh, the last verse of this passage that we read in verse 11. It says, and the disciples believed in him. This is the first of his signs. And he ma- it manifested his glory. And the disciples believed in him. Now, here's the final crux for this whole Messiah thing that the disciples had made a good decision to follow him at this point. They saw something in him that they didn't see in any other person who called themselves the Messiah. And then now Jesus is going to finally give them what they're looking for because the Jews were looking for signs. And Jesus gives them what they're looking for. The disciples needed that. You know what? They did it anyway. They followed him anyway. They kept on working at it. They kept on, you know, okay, we're with you. We're with you. On what they saw, they were coming after him. And Jesus blesses them with a final sign that they were looking for, a miracle that nobody could explain, a miracle that nobody could say, this is a, it wasn't a miracle. It just, you know, happened to have this extra wine. No, man. Jesus did this miracle in a way that his disciples could seal forever the fact that he was the Messiah. And I'll say that for us as disciples. Listen, I know I know this to be true. Y'all with me? Last statement. Here we go. Last point. I know we're all at different places here. Some of you are you're solid, man. You know that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's your Savior, that he is the one that, that gives us eternal life. You've received that. You've believed in him. You're growing in that. But some of you are not there. Some of you are at different places. Some of you are not even sure you believe yet. I have a really good friend that yesterday uh, communicated to me that she just doesn't know what she believes about if there is a God, whether he or she is real or not. You know, and man, I just, 
I know we're all at different places, and it's okay to be where you are. I hope you got that from last week, the last few weeks. It's good to be. Be honest. That's, that's a good start. But wherever you are, I want to tell you this about Jesus. He is going to give you what you need to believe in him. He will give you that. But pay attention. Keep following. Keep working at it. You know, keep whatever you're doing now. I mean, you're here today. That's a good way. It's a good way. We're going to preach about him. You're going to hear about him. And maybe during the week, God will make himself real to you in the ways that we talk about in here. And it will all click for you. But follow him. Or follow the group. Eat the popcorn. You know. Whatever you got to do, sit with us, come be with us, let's talk together, let's work together. And then here's what I can tell you from a truth from this story, is that God is ready to reveal himself to you. He doesn't need my help. He can do it all by himself. Just pay attention. Open your eyes. You know, like we talked about a few weeks ago, behold the Lamb of God. Pay attention to the Lamb of God. Just pay attention and watch how he opens up your mind to see the truth of who he is. He can do that. He will do that. It's what he does. It's in his character. If he ever was something, he still is that because Jesus never acted like something. It's who he is. Jesus is always authentic and real. So if he did this for his disciples, he will do it for these disciples. If you follow him, he wants to reveal himself to you and he will do it. And in shocking ways, and you'll be, you'll be blown away when he does it. But just watch for God this week. Okay, because if that's where you are, and, you have, and that's your personal need today, Jesus is personal. He's going to meet you where you are and give you what you need. Okay? Some of you have been so offended by the church and so offended by religion that you've turned God away completely, and you just need to make a shift in that. Okay? Just realize that the church and God are not the same. All right? The church today and the church in Jesus' day, you can see he had problems with the people who were in the church who were the religious leaders of their day. Not because the things they were doing were bad as far as their religious practices. It's because they didn't get it, and they were, they were not changed by God. But you don't have to do that. Make that shift today. Okay? Start paying attention. Watch for God in your life. And those of you who are in the church and you, you have a relationship with God, I just want to encourage you to realize today that, that God wants to strengthen your understanding of who he is and that the, that the Holy Spirit that you walk with every day is the same Jesus that we're seeing in this beautiful story, the wedding of Cana. All right, so let's, let's bow for a minute and get our minds on ourselves and on this teaching today and respond however God would have you respond as we worship here in just a minute what have we seen about Jesus today let me just remind you as you pray and you feel free to thank him for who he is as as your heart feels it but first of all he has come to this remote little church called Gathering Place West and he's here He lives in us, of course, but he's here manifesting himself. And I love that about him. He also was loved by people. And if you haven't found him to be loved yet, lovable yet, I just encourage you to to continue to look. 
Just continue to look at him, and you'll find him to be the person we're talking about, the person that reaches to meet us where we are, a person, person that uh, doesn't reject us in any way, but came to the earth, not to condemn us, but that we might be saved through him, be restored into a relationship with God. He gives us his righteousness. We don't deserve it, or we can't work for it. There's nothing we can do to earn it. He is lovable. Jesus came to the party, and he, he comes here. He is respectful and sociable with us. And, and we need to enjoy that, that. He is personal. He wants to be with you. If you feel like he doesn't want to be with you, you've been told a lie. He wants to be with you. He died for you. He wants to be with you. Some of you may need a rebuke today. It might be that this week God has communicated something to you that needs to be changed in your life. Or maybe something you've been praying for that you need to quit praying for. Asking God to do something that he doesn't want to do. And just respect that. Because he knows what's best for you. And just uh, ask, ask God to, to open your eyes to see him in that. Let him be in control. We have the Holy Spirit guiding us and giving us direction every day. And we can walk in that. Also realize that Jesus takes care of your problems. If you got issues going on this week, you got something's come come up, some problem in your life. Jesus is there. He is ready to help you. To take care of your needs. And he wants to reveal himself to you this week. And so would you just say a little prayer right now, just uh, just quietly to him, just God reveal yourself to me. I need to see you in my life. I need to see you at work in my world. I need to see that you, these things that Glenn is saying are true, that your word, the Bible, that those things are right. Show me. Father, I pray that you would make that real in every person's life here today, that our worship could be true, truer each time we come together, that not only do we enjoy each other in the atmosphere, but God, that we recognize you and your spirit is speaking and that you become the highlight of our worship and our times together. And Father, today I just pray we'll move closer to that, that we will really, Lord, today enjoy this final worship time together as we uh, corporately are expressing what we're all feeling individually, and that is a deeper love for you.